to, to, to homeschool. And one of the things I get to do is actually on Thursdays, I get to, I get to help out with homeschooling. And, uh, and one of the things that, uh, I've gotten to do that I've enjoyed because I enjoy history is, uh, I got to read to Madeline part of her history. And part of that lesson was reading about Abraham Lincoln. And, uh, it was fun. It was a fun experience, uh, for me. It was a, it was a good thing to share with Madeline, but I enjoyed it. One of the things I enjoyed uh, reading about Lincoln, though, was just really seeing how he felt about uh, the Civil War and seeing how he felt uh, for the people really on all sides. Uh, he had concerns uh, for those, those people. But one of the stories that I knew about and actually I'd read about, but I didn't know all the details until here recently, was was how at the end of, of the war, as the city of Richmond, which was the home of the Confederate, the Confederate capital, as it was finally captured and the Confederates run out, uh, Abraham Lincoln wanted to go, uh, immediately to go to Richmond and to see the people there and to interact and see what happened. And much to the, the dismay of those who were around them, um, who said, no, don't go, don't do this, uh, Lincoln went uh, anyway. And it's told as he went there that even though no one knew that he was coming, because obviously it wasn't promoted, the slaves began to recognize him immediately and began to throng around him just to get a look at him and to, to touch him. For he was the man who had liberated them by the Emancipation Proclamation who had outlawed slavery. And now Lincoln's army had finally set this city of Richmond free, and so they wanted to, to, to meet this man and to hear from him. And here's one of the things that, that he said to him. According to Admiral David Porter, an eyewitness, Lincoln stopped and he spoke to the throngs around them. And here's one of the things that he said. He says, My poor friends, you are free. Free as air, you can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it. Liberty is your birthright. But Lincoln also warned them, don't abuse your freedom. Lincoln said, don't let your joy carry you into excesses. Learn the laws and obey them. I like that story because... It reminds me some of the message here in Galatians. Galatians rings out that liberty is your birthright. You're, you're free in Christ now. Christ has freed you from the, the confines of the law. The external, external factors of the law, those, those, those religious rights, those, those dietary laws, you're free from those things. Those things could never make you righteous. As a matter of fact, the law itself couldn't make you righteous. Christ had to. And through faith in Christ, you can be declared righteous, and so there, you're no longer a debtor or a slave to your sin. Liberty is your birthright. The Judaizers in Galatians, those people who thought that uh, you had to, they thought that you had to become a Jew to truly become a Christian. And Paul put them straight, but even when he put them straight and said you're justified by faith alone, he says, well, you can't live the Christian life without the law either. 
And Paul adamantly says, no, it's, it's, it's not by the law that you live the Christian life because they were worried you would go to excesses. If you don't bring the law into your life, you're going to go to excesses. But Paul says, no, that's, that's not how you live it either. And what Paul lays out for us and laid out here in the Galatians is two options that we have to live the Christian life. One is, and some of the slaves did this, they like to remain in the slavery that they were freed from. And we too, Christians will also often make the choice to live the Christian life by legalism, by adding on top of their lives not living out the freedom in Christ, but they'll add on top of their lives a list of to-dos and don'ts. But there are also those who choose the, the Christian life to take advantage of that freedom and say, hey, that means I can do whatever I want. But that's not the Christian life either. God does not call for us to exchange our life for legalism or license to do whatever he wants. He calls to exchange our life for our own self, for the freedom or the liberty that we have in Christ, and to live that by faith. That's what he's called us to. He's called us to live free in Christ, not dependent upon ourselves, but dependent upon Christ and his life in us. Last week, as we looked in Galatians chapter 2, we learned that we were, we've been justified by faith. He literally says in Genesis, uh, Galatians 2.20, it says, For we have been crucified in Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, this is the life that I want you to exchange. I want you to go away from yourself, from dependence upon the law. And I want you to live life free in Christ. But how do we do that? How do we live free in Christ? How do we live the life of Christ through us? How do we live that by faith? What does that look like? What's, what is that practically like? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul begins to address this. First of all, he states in Galatians 5, 1 through 12, he, he reestates that it's not legalism. It's not dependence upon the law. It's not adding the externals. It's not something we do outwardly to live out the Christian life. Then he goes on in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, and he also says it's not license. It's not license either. He says in verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. He says, don't turn it into opportunity to be at license to do whatever you want to do. But instead, he says, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. See, the, the intent of liberty in Christ is not to be freed to sin as we want to, but it's to be freed to love as God desires us to. Paul goes on to say this in verse 14. He says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, first thing you might notice, well, Matt, it, 
It sounds like he's asking us to live according to the law. See, Paul wasn't against the law. The law in and of itself isn't wrong. What was long about the law and what the problem that the Galatians had is was their dependence upon the law, thinking that it was the law that made them righteous. That it was the law that made them acceptable. And Paul says, no, we're, we're free in Christ because the law can never do that in us. Actually, all the law did was shows you how much you need Christ. It's not going to be the dietary laws. It's not circumcision that makes you acceptable to God. Those things just point to your need for God. But he still wants us to fill the essence of the law. And Christ himself summarizes this for us in Matthew 22, where he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then he said there was the second like it. That is, the outworking of a love for God is, guess what? A love for your neighbor as yourself. Well, the question still remains, well, how do I love this way? How do I love like this? It's interesting. God always had a plan for this. God always knew that the law in and of itself could enable, never enable us to truly love the neighbor as ourself. So a long time ago in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, the prophet wrote this. He said, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And get this, this is an awesome part here. And I will put my spirits within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. See, we can never fulfill the essence of the law in our own strength and power. The external law always pushed us and made us see that we needed Christ. Matter of fact, we needed Christ in us. And how does Christ live in us? Well, the prophet foretells that it's going to be the Spirit. John, Jesus said this himself. He says in John chapter 7, verse 38, he said this, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him who were to receive for the spirit was not yet given. See, Christ himself, as he said, you know, it's, it's I'm going to give you my spirit. It's the spirit that's going to work in you. That's how Christ lives in us. Paul makes this note himself. He says this in Galatians chapter three, verses one through three. Just after getting done talking with him in Galatians two. Where we were last week, he says this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? That is, was it keeping the law that brought new life in your life that brought the spirit in your life or was it through faith in Christ? And then he goes on, he says, verse three, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You get that? He's saying, guys, 
Not only does the law cannot save us, but the law doesn't perfect us. It doesn't sanctify us. It doesn't enable us to live out the Christian life in the here and now. We can't do it in our own flesh. So you've begun with the Holy Spirit. Don't be foolish enough to leave the Holy Spirit out of your whole sanctifying process, your growing in Christ process. It's through the Spirit working in us that we can fulfill the law of love. So we've been liberated to live by the Spirit, not to the law and not to our flesh. Paul makes this clear. He shows you what this life is like in verse 16. Look what he says there. Coming right after this passage to, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on, verse 16, he says, but I say, he said, instead of biting and devouring one another and take care that you are not consumed by water and kind of instead of that kind of fleshly behavior, he says this in verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirits and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Listen to that. But I say, walk by the spirits and you might not carry out the works of the flesh. What's it say? What's it say? Tell me. I want to hear you say it. And you will not carry out the works of the flesh. There's two things we see happening here. The first is the command. All right. This is not, well, if you feel like it. Well, if it, you know, if I remember that day. No, he's saying he's commanded you to walk by the Spirit. There's no other way. It's not license to do whatever you want. It's not legalism. He's saying walk by the Spirit. That's the way. That's the way I command you to walk. But not only is it a command, it's a promise. It's a promise. If you walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Folks, this is a key truth to your life. It's one of the most important things that you can ever learn in your life. If you want to live out the Christian life, not dependent on your own self-efforts, which are exhausting, are they not? It's walk by the Spirit. Sometimes I'll hear people struggle with me and they'll, I'll ask them, well, do, you, do you believe this promise? And some will just, just struggle and they'll say, well, it's, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. I, I can't live out this life. And I say, you know, you're right. You can't. But Christ has changed you and he's given you your spirit. And guess what? His spirit working in you. It can change you. Do you believe that? Sometimes people will come with me and they'll have marriage problems. They say, oh, this is just the way it's got to be. The marriage has just got to be this. There's no way they're going to change. I say, well, yeah, if you keep operating the way you are and in your flesh. But I'll tell you what. Spirit promises if you walk by the Spirit, He can change. He can change your desires. My, my exhortation to you is, do you believe this? Will you believe this? Believe it. It's a promise. This is the key to the Christian life. Right here. 
And God gives you a promise. If you will walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, to walk by the Spirit, it's a, it's a present tense. It has a continuous action that's happening. So it's not just a one-time decision that you make, all right? It's not you just take one little walk with them and you're done. It's a, it's a continuous aspect where literally we could say walking by the Spirit or keep walking in the Spirit would be a way that we could translate it. In fact, uh, the idea of walk was a common metaphor in, in the, the Hebrew life of one's conduct of life. So he's saying your whole conduct of life should be dictated by keep walking in the Spirit. Now, this little preposition of by, it's important because it denotes dependence. It carries the idea of by the means of. So walking by the Spirit denotes dependence. I got to go in the airport here recently in my trip to India, and I had uh, probably took too much stuff with me, and I had to carry it on my back. And uh, so you kind of go huffing and puffing through through the airports. And, I, and, you, and sometimes you go through and you're huffing and puffing along, and then you look over and you, you see these other people who are walking by you, and they're walking by you real, real fast. You're like, how are they doing that? And then you look down and you see, wait a minute, there's a little, little uh, I don't know what you call them, they're a little thing that moves underneath them. And it moves them along. And they're walking, but they got something else that's, that's helping them walk even better. And so, so I want you know what I start doing? I was like, I'm gonna stop carrying this heavy bag. I'm gonna stop hopping and puffing. I'm gonna get on that little walker thing. And it jolts you at first, you know, and then 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 you get moving, and then you kind of start going by people like this, you know. <laughs> you're carrying bags like that, and you're just doing all kinds of things. It's good. That's what walking by the Spirit is like. That's what I kind of imagine it is. It's not that we don't do anything. We have responsibility. We have a command to obey. But it's dependence upon him to carry us and move us through the Christian life, not our own self. That's what walking by the Spirit is. We walk by the Spirit as we live in ongoing or moment by moment daily dependence upon the Holy Spirit. how we live it. But what is the flesh? It talks about the flesh here. Is the flesh just that fatty part of our body? Is it just the, the things on our bones? Is that our flesh? Well, in some senses, it's used that way in Scripture, but it's not used here by Paul here in Galatians in that way in this particular passage. When, when Scripture speak of the flesh, they're speaking of that aspect of us that, that we still have that capacity within us to operate independent of God, that we can still have a tendency to sin. It's that capacity within us that, that still knows how to sin. I kind of call it it's kind of our, our default setting. It still resides there. I kind of think of it, and, and I might get so messed up because I'm not a computer guy, but I kind of think of it as a, uh, as a as it's kind of like you have this computer and on the hardware, there's still this, this kind of virus or there's still this program that's still there. But then you get this whole new operating system. But that one program is still there. 
And at times when you're operating the computer on the new operating system, this, this virus or this other program will pop up and it'll kind of mess things up. But the operating system is so good that it's planned for that. And when that thing mess starts messing up, another little box pops up and it says, hey, you just click here and, and, and you follow these directions and it'll take care of that problem. That's kind of how I see the, the, the existence of the flesh. It's still, that, it's still there, but guess what? We've got an operating system that will help us deal with it. And that, that capacity will always be there until we get a whole new computer. And that's not going to happen until we go to be with Christ. That's something we call glorification. And there will be a day when he will take us up out of this earth and then he's going to give us, he's going to eradicate sin completely. It will be gone. But until that day, you're still going to have that tendency, that capacity. But at the same time, he's giving you a new operating system. That if you'll click on it, if you'll follow the directions, you'll depend on it. You'll take care of that bug. So that's the flesh. There's a battle, though. Sometimes we think it's abnormal to have this battle. It speaks of this battle in verse 17. For the flesh sets a desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Sometimes we think it's abnormal, particularly this sensitive believer, that if I have this battle with the flesh, something must be wrong with me. Maybe I'm not saved. Let me just put you all at ease. All right. It's not abnormal. You battle with the flesh till the day you die. But you don't have to battle it alone. It's kind of like, uh, I just described the battle a little bit to me. It's kind of like the story of the boy staring at the apple cart. The owner calls out to the boy and says, hey, what are you doing? Are you trying to steal one of my apples? The boy replied, no, I'm trying not to steal your apples. Or it reminds me of the story of my coach, my basketball coach, many years ago. Times we would have devotions. I was blessed to be on a basketball team like that. And I remember my coach actually talking frank with us sometimes, and we was talking particularly on the, the, uh, the side of sexual temptation. That's a problem with college guys, if you didn't know. And I remember him one time distinctly. He, he, he put it in his own way that he could put it. Put it. He says, guys... There may be snow on top, referring to his gray hair, but the fire still burns inside. And that's true. He was a man in his 60s, and he still had to do battle with the flesh. It's not abnormal. It's not abnormal. It's a part of the battle that we have. It says here, as it describes in here, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. They're fighting. They're like opponents to each other. It's kind of like the flesh is, is the defense. Flesh is like a defensive unit on a football team where their only goal is to kill the progress of the offensive team. Sometimes you'll hear commentators say because of a penalty or because of a great defensive play that they kill the offense. That's kind of what's the battle of flesh, but guess what? We've got a great offensive coordinator. We've got an offensive coordinator that only sits on the sidelines, but that takes up residence in us 
and that will help us operate the, operate the plays to get through the defense. That's the opposition that's happening here. You know, Piper, John Piper, as I was reading a little bit of his reflections on this, he put a little a positive spin on this battle. He says this, there's something far worse than the battle between the spirit and the flesh and the believer. My thought was, what is it? And you might ask, well, what is it? He says this, no warring at all going on side. Because all the flesh is in total control because the spirit is not present. So praise God, there's a war. Because if there wasn't a war going on inside of you, You don't have a spirit. We can be joyful, the fact that we are in war, because there was a time in our life before Christ where the flesh just reigned. But now we have the spirit within us to battle. Now, what are these deeds of the flesh? What is the flesh? Now, I'm gonna, what Paul describes, he describes more on the license side. And here's what he says, because, by the way, did you know that legalism can be of the flesh, too? That it can be a fleshly deed? That trying to earn favor with God, trying to live out the Christian life in your own strength, that that's a fleshly deed? But here he describes the more the ones of, of license. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are, and first he gives some sexual sins of the flesh. He says immorality. This is where we get our term pornania. And it can cover all kinds of illicit sexual behavior. From actions between people to just being an audience of, of pornographic, sexually immoral things. Then he says impurity. Impurity here refers to moral uncleanness. Again, it's a... It's kind of referring to things, a person who exhibits a crudeness or insensitivity about sexual matters. It can even refer to those things, you know, those jokes, those double entendres that people make. That's included in this word. That's of the flesh. Then he says on to sensuality. This is just, just excessive indulgence to sexual sin where there's no shame. Or restraints. And then he says, that, then he lists some religious vices. He speaks of idolatry and sorcery. Did you know idolatry doesn't just have to be like the idol that I saw in India? But it can be anything that we put in place of God. Then next he listens relational sins. He says enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Sometimes when I counsel people, particularly if I'm, I'm, I'm counseling, sometimes marital counseling situations, I'll have them open up the scripture to this passage. And I'll particularly have them focus in on these last ones I just read. And, and I just stop and I ask them, does this describe your marriage, your relationship? And they'll go, yeah. You know what your, the main issue in your life is? You're not walking in the spirit. It's the flesh. Then he goes on and he lists some sins of overindulgence and he says drunkenness, carousing. And just in case you're saying I'm free 
my particular fleshly thing is not on the list. I'm good. He says, and things like these. Things like these. Of which I forewarn you. Just as I has forewarned you, this, see, this is not the first time Paul has told him this. That those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty serious, isn't it? Let me bring some understanding to this. Because the first thing we do is, uh, Matt, I struggle with these. That's what Matt would raise his hand to. We've got to understand what he means by this. When he says we practice, the key to understanding this is those who practice such things. The word practice, it appears in a, it's a present active, what we call participle. It indicates continuous, ongoing action. It's, it's the pattern of their life. In essence, what he's saying is, it's a good bet that if this is what marks you, if this is the pattern and the practice of your life, there's a good chance you've never truly put your faith in Christ Jesus. There's a good chance you've never truly been born again and the Spirit has come in to indwell you. See, it's not that we don't struggle with these things, we will, but when they become, or when they are, I should say, not necessarily become, when they are the practice of our life, I would warn that person to examine their salvation to see if they've truly come to put their faith and trust in Christ. So those are the evidences of the flesh. But what's the evidence of walking by the spirit? How do I know? How can I say, yeah, I'm walking by the spirit? He says, verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. There's, there's, no, there's no need to restrain these things. When people tell me I cannot overcome some sinful habit, it's just who I am. I say, no, 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 don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie, because if you walk by the Spirit, here's the fruits. The fruit He can bring to your life. So if you struggle with hate, guess what? He can bring you love. If you, stress, if you struggle with envy, he says, I can give you joy. I can give you a sense of, of, of happiness or, I mean, a joy of, of, of abiding and rejoicing in the circumstances and things that you have in life. If, you, if you're constantly in strife, guess what? I can give you an inner quietness, a, a peace. If you're constantly in dissensions, I can give you patience to bear through such things. If you struggle with selfish ambition, I can give you kindness, or I have kindness for you to think of others. If you're jealous, I'll give you goodness to doing good to those who don't even deserve it. If you struggle with factions, I'll give you faithfulness. Or fits of rage, I have gentleness for you instead. Or if you're trapped into things like pornography and other such things and other habitual things, guess what? I have self-control for you. It's my fruits. Just walk by my spirits. And I'll give you self-control. It won't come from yourself. It'll come from my spirits. 
It's good stuff, isn't it? You can say amen. So, so here's the million dollar question. How do we walk by the Spirit? I mean, you can hear me talk about we should walk by the Spirit, but, but how? How do we do that? Well, in the text, it doesn't explicitly say it in a definition for us, but from looking at the text and looking at other scriptures, it certainly describes what walk by the Spirit means. So I want to just suggest some things for you. First of all, the first thing is to walk by the Spirit. It's prayerfully choosing to depend on the Spirit daily. I go back to, but I say walk by the Spirit. It's a command. And hence, since it's a command, means that we have a choice to either obey it or not obey it. See, it's not just let go and let God mentality, all right? Yes, we want to depend upon God, but we have to make a choice to walk by the Spirit. We need to do it prayerfully. Hence, I call it prayerfully choosing to depend on the Spirit daily. Let me illustrate how we can do this. The alarm clock gets up. Your eyes starting to open up. You got a day ahead of you. Before you step out of that bed, you know what needs to be on your mind? God, I need you. I've got things I got to do today, and I'm going to want to do them in my own power. Before I take a step out of this bed, help me. To depend upon you. To walk by your spirit. And then as you move throughout the day and you get to that meeting that you had with that person you can't stand. You say, here I am, God. Here's the person I can't stand. You say, you got some fruit for me. All right. Give me some of that peace right now. Give me some of that love. Give me some of that kindness because it's not in myself. Then you get to that back later in the day. And those kids show up at your house. Or, I mean, you go to their house, the kids are at, and your wife's worn out, and she says, I'm done, I'm going to the other room. Not that she ever does that, but, uh, and those children don't listen to you, and you want to spank them so hard to send them into the next neighbor's house? You say, all right, Holy Spirit, I want to walk by your spirit. Right now, you've got to give me some love for these children. That's what it looks like, folks. It's not just some A, B, do this, do this, and this. It's, it's a dependence. It's a consciousness of walking by. He says, man, I just can't do that. There's so many distractions. You know what? That's a bunch of junk. You know what? We sure can respond to those cell phones a lot, can't we? Every time some beep, oh, what's somebody just said something on my Facebook. I've got to look at that. And, and then come along, whoop, I've got to tweet something about this today. And we're always dependent on these cell phones. We can't remember. I've left the house and I just felt like naked without it. I was like, where is it? Okay. We're dependent upon those things. We need to do that with the Holy Spirit. He needs to be on our mind always. The second thing is this. We need to submit to his leadership alone. Verse 18 says this. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's led. Notice, first of all, it doesn't say directed. The Holy Spirit leads us. 
You know, have you ever been someplace that was unfamiliar? And someone you saw, well, hey, how do I get to here and there? And the person stops and they say, OK, what you do is you take go down here and you take a left at the stop sign. All right. And then as you come down, you kind of get right at the big oak tree. You, you turn there. OK. And then there's going to be a road and it kind of veers off here. Now, you, you like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. All right. But the Holy Spirit doesn't doesn't. Isn't it better when someone else comes along and says you ask them for direction and say, oh, yeah, follow me. I'll go with you. I'll show you how to go. See, that's what our Holy Spirit does. He doesn't stand back and says, just go here, take a ride at the big oak tree. He is with us. He's with us through his word. He's with us through his, his actual presence and promptings in, in, our, in our lives. He's with us in the, in the interactions of other people in our life. That's how he leads. But the problem is, when it comes to leadership, we want to be in authority. Or... I kind of want to follow the spirit, but there's also these other things I want to do. But James 1, uh, verse 8 says, a double man of mind is unstable in his ways. And so until you choose to follow the spirit and the spirit alone, you're going to be unstable in all your ways. We need to submit to his leadership. And his alone. The third thing is we need to set your minds on the things of the spirit. Romans 8 verse 5 through 6 says this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. You want to walk by the spirit? You want to avoid the deadly living of the flesh? You have to start thinking the thoughts of the Spirit. You have to start thinking God's thoughts. See, it starts in the mind, and then it leads to actions. We've got to change our thoughts. So the question for us is, well, what's filling our minds? What is it that your minds are stayed upon? Because if our minds are stayed upon the things of the world with all the television shows or whatever else the world promotes, if that's all it ever dwells, no wonder we have problems walking by the Spirit. We don't know where He's walking or how He walks or where He's prompting us to go. My question I have for myself is, when I think of my mind set on things of the Spirit, will the things that I think upon, will they pass the Philippians 4, 8 test? You know that test, Philippians 4.8? You know the thing where he says, to think upon, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Are those the kind of things that our mind dwells on? If they're not, it's going to be hard to walk by the Spirit. And last, in verse 24 and 25, it says this, now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, or more accurately, it could be since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And you say, Matt, uh, my flesh certainly doesn't feel like it's been crucified. It sure doesn't. 
But what he's trying to do here is he's trying to remind you of a reality, okay, that has present effect and future ramifications as well. The reality is this, because we can never crucify our flesh, but the reality is our flesh was crucified on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that thereby gave to us justification by faith. We're declared righteous with God. He looks at us differently. And we look forward to a day ahead that one day where we will be glorified and we'll be without that because of the work of Christ. We'll be without sin in our lives. But to, to, to help us and empower us in this life here and now, this new life that we came, that came through the Spirit, He's also given us the Spirit. And He's saying, hey, you've been crucified with Christ. And with that brings the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And now because the presence of the Holy Spirit is present in your life, the old flesh doesn't have dominion over you like it did before Christ. So stop thinking it does. Start thinking. So often we go around and say, I can do nothing. I'm, uh, this flesh just has reign over me. And the reality is, no, Christ has crucified that flesh. It will be eradicated in the future. And he's given us now the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to not have to walk in the flesh. And so instead of going around thinking so defeated, we need to start thinking in victory that I, in Christ, have had the flesh crucified. That is true of me. So let me act on that truth and the power that God has given me and to live that out. So how do we do that practically? As you're going throughout your day, whatever it may be, whatever uh, temptation of the flesh it may be, as it's urging you and pulling you on and you feel like I've got to fall this temptation, what you do in your mind mentally is you say, you know what? I've been crucified of that flesh. Christ has died for that. He's going to eradicate it. And guess what? I can walk by the Spirit now. That's the kind of thinking we need to have. If we're going to walk by the Spirit. When I think of the, the Christian life, when I think of walking in the Spirit, one memory comes to, to my mind. It's the story that my mom told me of of uh, walking in my dad's footsteps. It was one time in, uh, I think it was St. Petersburg Beach, Florida. And my mom and my dad were walking along, and my dad was walking ahead of me, and uh, and his footsteps were left in the sand. And um, I just was making just steps. Wherever he'd w- walk, I would step in his footprints. And I would just follow it along. And I started thinking about that. Why, why would I want to do that? I want to follow my dad's steps. As I thought about it, it's because I love my dad. And I knew my dad loved me. I knew he cared for me. And I knew that he was the kind of guy I could follow in his steps. And I wanted to be like him because I could trust him where he would go. And so I would step in those steps. He was the kind of guy that I could submit to because even though I didn't always like what he said, I knew he had his best interest for me so I could take another step in his footprints. God the Father has given us someone 
to set out the footprints to live the Christian life for us. And that's his spirit, his very spirit. And he says, hey, you want to live the Christian life? You do it by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and trusting his leadership. We have a choice. Exchange living life in our own strength and power. Or exchange living our life dependent upon the power of God, his Holy Spirit in our life. May we put our faith and our dependence upon the Spirit. Amen. Dear God, we come and we praise you. I thank you for these truths that aren't just something that are black and white on a leather-bound Bible. But there are truths that have reality in our life, a reality made real by the presence of your Holy Spirit in us. And I thank you for that. Lord, my prayer today is for the believer and the unbeliever. Lord, there may be some here today who have never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the Spirit is not present in their lives. And Lord, my prayers for them, that they will realize that they are sinners and they are hopelessly bound to live out the things of the flesh. And Lord, my prayers that they will turn from their sin through faith in Jesus Christ. That they will put their faith and their trust in Christ to pay the price for their sins. But also, Lord, to enable them to live this Christian life. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. That, Lord, they will realize that they're not alone to live this Christian life. They can't even live it by themselves. That, Lord, they can depend upon your spirit. Who indwells them, who indwells each of us. And, Lord, I pray that you will help them to walk by the spirit in their life. And, Lord, I pray that out of that, out of the walking of your believers and your spirit, that your fruit will abound and you will be glorified and you will be praised. Lord, we give you thanks and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.